We're about to be uh, heading into looking at Jesus and Lazarus this morning. But uh, before we do that, we're going to do it in a couple of different ways because uh, we're going to read the Bible in a minute, but we're also going to be watching the Bible in a minute too because we can actually see it on the screen. But um, have any of you been panning for gold? Have we done that? It's a bit of fun, isn't it, where you go out and uh, you get a pan, you stick it in a bit of dirt near a river, uh, you wash it round, and gradually as the sand goes away, eventually you hopefully find something in the bottom. Now, more likely than not, it's just a big lump of rock that's still there. But sometimes you might find a bit of gold. When I was a child, my father went in partnership with a group of people and bought an old gold mine. And uh, we actually went out to that old gold mine and did some of that panning. And we used to get the pan and we switch it round, hoping and praying and thinking that we might turn up one treasure, one beautiful bit of gold. Well, it never happened. Uh, and I think my father eventually sold it because I don't think there was much gold there at all. But uh, it was a good fun. Imagine what it would be. Imagine what it would be like if you did do that panning for gold and it did turn up a piece of treasure, a gem. You'd be excited, wouldn't you? You'd, be, you'd want to grab that. You'd go, wow, isn't this fantastic? Isn't this exciting to grab this one gem and hold it and look at it and go, wonderful. Well, the passage that we're about to look at today in the raising of Lazarus, we're actually going to see a whole lot of gems because this passage that we have before us is full of treasure. There's lots in it. But I'm going to actually pull out four bits of treasure for us this morning and look at it together. Four gems, I think, pull this passage together. So as we read through the passage and then as we watch the passage, look for some of those gems because they're there. Some of them will stand out really bright. Others you may have to look for a little bit harder. But listen for them, read along with them and then watch it on the screen. So Jack's going to come up and he's going to read the first part of the passage for us. If you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 11. Please have your Bibles open because you're going to need them a little bit later as we look through the gems together. If you can't find a Bible somewhere, grab one, pull it out and have it open because otherwise you mightn't quite grasp the gem. Okay, Jack's going to read and then we're going to play something for you. Good morning. Uh, those of you who have the uh, those of you who have the new NIV Bible, our blue Bible, it's on page 1077, chapter 11, and we're reading from 1 to 16. Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus was now lay sick, was the same one who had poured the perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that this God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and her sister, and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, He stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you were going back there. Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by the world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, 
for he has no light. And after this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, and I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will be better. But Jesus had been speaking of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am going, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. And on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. May God bless the reading of this word. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Why they cover up their mouths? Because of the stink. Because of the smell that would have been emanating through that tomb. Starting with Mary and Martha, their brother is alive. Just imagine the joy that they would have on their faces. They came out and saw him there. Stunning, wasn't it? Absolutely stunning. Now, if you read your Bibles carefully, you'll notice that they got a couple of things wrong uh, and they added a few things. But just to get that sense of what it would be like, sometimes it's hard to read and to grasp what would have been going on. But to see it, it stuns us, doesn't it? Very powerful to see someone who was dead be alive. Well, there's some great gold mines in this passage. It's a stunning passage. It's probably the uh, pinnacle, in a sense, of the miracles that Jesus did while he was alive before he died. Because if you're reading through John, you would have noticed that up until this point, uh, John had given seven different signs, uh, actually six different signs, six different miracles he'd shown, and there were six different miracles to show who this Jesus was. And throughout it, people were grasping little bits and getting a bit of a hold of who he was. But not everyone grabbed it. And some people were still doubting. Some people were still wondering. Mary and Martha, we heard last week, they were still trying to piece together who this Jesus was. And then this, the seventh miracle, just blows them out of the water. So John built bit by bit by bit by bit to this stunning example of raising someone from the dead. It's amazing. You see, this passage was trying to show, or this, up to this point, John was building this picture so that people would grasp hold who this Jesus really was. He was trying to give the picture to show that Jesus is not just a nice guy, that Jesus is not just a good moral teacher, though Jesus is that, but he's far more than that, that Jesus is God. You see, John, when he wrote this book, of the Bible, he says this at the very end, right near the end, he said, this is why I wrote it, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which were not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, John wrote this to show the people he wanted to write to that Jesus is God. So here in the story of Lazarus, there is tension building. 
Just before it, the Pharisees wanted to kill him. Straight after this, the Pharisees definitely want to kill him. So there's tension happening all around and then this passage, this story comes out in the middle of it and it blows us away. The story of the raising of Lazarus. Well, let's have a look at a couple of the gems that I thought were in this passage. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up because we're going to move around a little bit within the story. This is one of the longest stories you'll get in the Gospels. Uh, many of the stories that we get in the Gospels are only short sections, but this takes up a whole chapter and runs into the next chapter a little bit as well. So it's a long story, and I think it's a long story because it's got a lot packed into it. But I want to pull out a few, uh, few for you, and uh, if we click the next one, Josh, we'll get on to the first gem. The power of Jesus. I think that's the thing that grabs us, doesn't it? When you first read this passage and you go through, you think, this guy has got the power. It smacks you in the face because no one else can do what he can do. When was the last time you saw someone stand at the beside a grave as the casket is being lowered into the grave, say, come out? Hasn't happened, has it? Doesn't happen, does it? We would love it to happen sometimes, wouldn't we? On Monday, I would imagine that a number of us would love to see Mari alive again. But it can't happen because we can't do it. But Jesus stands there and calls a person out and they come out. That is phenomenal power, isn't it? People everywhere are seeking power. We can still look around the world and see people who've got amazing power. You can look at uh, people say that the US has uh, the power, that George Bush is the most powerful man in the world. We can look through history and see people who've had power and people who've used power and been corrupted by power. So I say that as I was saying, this power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we've seen examples of that. We've seen Idi Amin. We've seen examples of people throughout history do that. Adolf Hitler. We've seen others in our own Christian community, Jimmy Swaggart, Jimmy Baker, being corrupted by power. Why? Because they're not perfect. There is only one person who has perfect power and that's Jesus. Jesus calls Lazarus out in verse 41 to 44. He calls him out. He says, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out. That's startling. That is not your everyday occurrence. Jesus has the power. He has perfect power and he uses it it perfectly and Jesus said to Martha Jesus as he has this power and Martha hasn't seen this yet but he says to Martha he says I am the resurrection and the life who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die do you believe this it's a good question isn't it it's a straight question it's a question for you and I this morning. Do you believe this? Do you believe that when you trust in Jesus, death no longer has power over you? That in Jesus, he has conquered death. That in Jesus, he has taken away the only power that the devil has left of death and he's destroyed it. That in Jesus, we have life eternal. Do you believe it? I pray that it's a resounding yes. 
Because how great a comfort it is to know that. How great a comfort it is to know that when we trust in Jesus, the coffin going into the ground is not the end. When we stand there tomorrow and watch Mari being lowered into the ground, it'll be a sad day. But it'll only be sad for us. It's not sad for her. She is with her Lord and Saviour. She is with the resurrection and the life. She is with Jesus. She no longer has the pain and suffering that we go through in this world. She's with Jesus. How wonderful that is. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We do not need to fear death. That's our first gem. Our first gem from this passage is that Jesus has the power over death. What a wonderful gem that is. Well, let's look at the next gem. And I think this is a gem that may catch you a little bit off guard in some ways because I think this passage, if you read it and spend time contemplating what's said in it, it might catch you off guard too because the second gem that I think is in this passage is the emotion of Jesus. In the world today, there's that saying, isn't it, that we need to be snags, us blokes. We're supposed to be sensitive, new-age guys. Supposed to be guys that show our emotions, that we feel, that we love, that we embrace, that we cry, that we are not afraid to express what's going on in our lives, to express our feelings. Well, I want to suggest to you that that's nothing new. I actually want to suggest to you this morning that we had the perfect example in Jesus, of how to express our emotions. You see, I reckon Jesus is a sag, S-double-A-G, a sensitive, all-ages guy. He was there from the beginning. He was emotional from the beginning. He holds his manliness in perfect harmony. He knows what it is to be strong, but he knows what it is to feel. And I think this story brings it together. Have a look at verse 5 in chapter 11. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's an emotional thing. He loved them deeply. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. That troubled is actually more than just, I'm feeling a bit put out here. That troubled is in a sense he is angry. He is angry, he is troubled, he is moved. He's angry with the fact that death has taken away his friend. That death still has power in this world. But he knows he can overcome it. He feels for them. He has compassion for them. He has empathy, he has sympathy. He feels their pain. And then the shortest verse in the whole Bible. Jesus wept. Now that wasn't shown too well in the video because when it says Jesus wept, it wasn't just that he had a tear running down his face. It is literally he burst into tears. He literally burst into tears. This is a guy who feels, doesn't it? This is a guy who empathises. This is a guy who feels the pain of his friends. 
This is a guy who feels the pain of Lazarus dying. This is a guy who feels your pain. This is a guy who knows what life is like for you. The most powerful man that ever lived bursts into tears. What a beautiful picture, isn't it? It's a stunning picture. Have you ever felt that picture of Jesus? Of a guy who is crying and weeping because someone he loved is in pain. You know, we who trust in Jesus are loved by Jesus. He feels our pain. He weeps with us when someone we love dies. He weeps with us when things are going well with us. He has compassion for us because he knows what this struggling world is like. I hope you can gather a little bit of this because so often I think we sit Jesus on a mantelpiece or we have a statue or we have some sort of almost unemotional staid figure that goes round and just does things. But here is a guy who feels things. He's real. He's real. His love, his compassion, his mercy, his sympathy deals with our sorrow and our pain and he deals with our concern over death. You see, that troubled is Jesus who's angry over death and he goes forward from there and you look what he says in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, is actually the same word as troubled. He's angry as he goes towards the tomb. He's angry that death is still here and he's going to go and do something about it. And the first thing he does about it is he calls Lazarus out and he's raised from the dead. But as Ben said in his children's talk, Lazarus was only really a resuscitation because Lazarus dies later. So Jesus does one thing to show who he is But his ultimate defeat of death is until he gets to the cross when he rises again. And so when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, it's not just the fact that he can call someone out of the grave, it's the fact that he takes on death and he defeats it and it's open to all of us. It's not just a once-off resuscitation. This is eternal life forever for everyone who trusts and believes in him. That is how much he hates death. That is how much he hates the devil. That is how much he hates sin that he takes it on and deals with it himself at the cross. What a wonderful saviour we have. What a sag we have. What a sensitive, all-ages guy we have in Jesus. So let me encourage you to don't fear your emotions. Jesus didn't fear his. Allow yourself to cry. Allow yourself to weep. Allow yourself to feel the pain and the suffering of those around you. As we grow to be more like Jesus, we need to grow in the way that we love people like Jesus, in the way that we feel for people like Jesus. 
Now, you might say, you know, we don't want to get all emotional about things and emotion clouds issues. Well, let me tell you, that's true. On the extreme, it can cause all sorts of strife. But I don't think Australians, and especially Australian blokes, can be actually uh, put in that category very often. I think basically Australian blokes, we're just brick walls, aren't we? Can't show nothing, guys. We've got to be strong through everything. We've just got to be this brick wall and everything can bounce off us. That's garbage. It's not what we're supposed to be like. We are supposed to be people who feel, people who love, people who are passionate, people who are moved, people who care for each other. What a great gem we have there. Have you ever felt about that about Jesus before? We have Jesus who is almighty and powerful over death. Jesus who shows his emotion for those he loves. And now we have the third gem, which is the timing of Jesus. I don't know whether you picked that up either. But did you notice the timing of Jesus in this passage? Did you notice that Jesus works on a different schedule to everybody else? Have a look at verses 4 and 6. Jesus, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Did you hear it? It was in there. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, yet when he heard what Lazarus, that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. His best mate, the guy he loves, dying. And he stays put two days. What's going on, Jesus? Mary and Martha race up to him and says, if you had a been here, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. What are you doing, mate? Come on. Get your acting together. together. But did you hear the time frame that Jesus is working on? Did you see it? It's in the middle there. It's not our time frame. It's God's time frame. Listen to it. So, no, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You see, Jesus is working on an overriding time schedule. Jesus is working to an overriding principle. And that principle is that he does everything to bring glory to God and to himself. What do we mean by glory to God? That is that he's to be praised, that people see God and go, wow. That's what we mean by glory, that he's seen as being the greatest. When we talk about Jesus and his glory, we're seeing about him being held up as being the ultimate. Jesus doesn't work on anyone else's time schedule except God's. And sometimes God's time schedule seems absolutely ridiculous. Why didn't he turn up two days before? Could have stopped Lazarus from dying. But he didn't. That would have seemed really weird, wouldn't it? Sometimes it seems really weird to us, doesn't it? Sometimes we pray for people and we'd like to see them healing, but they're not. Sometimes we like to see things happen, but they don't. Sometimes things actually happen a lot later than what we expect. Mary and Martha would not have known what Jesus was going to do. They could not have possibly imagined what Jesus was going to do. Their brother is dead. Jesus wasn't there. They're annoyed that he wasn't. 
But Jesus' time frame is for God's glory. And what happens? He turns up after four days. After Lazarus has been dead four days. And that could be the end, couldn't it? But the most stunning thing happens. Would you have ever picked that? Would you have ever picked that Jesus would have then gone and raised the bloke from dead? Wouldn't have possibly imagined the thing, would it? But that's the time frame that Jesus is working on because when people saw that, did you see their faces in the film? They were stunned, they were amazed and people came to know Jesus. People put their trust in him after that. Jesus was glorified after that. God was glorified after that. People saw that and said, God is true. People saw that and saw Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. I want to give my life to him. They wouldn't have thought that, would they? But God's glory was seen far better by that than Jesus turning up earlier and healing him. He could have done it, but that wasn't in his plan. That wasn't God's schedule. He was working to God's schedule, and God's schedule is that he's glorified. I think we need to learn from that, don't we? Because I think sometimes we want God to work on our schedule. Sometimes we expect him to do the things that we want him to do. Sometimes when I think we pray, we think just because we're praying that therefore God should do it. We think that we, this is the way that God will be glorified. Well, this is what's going to make us feel better. But actually God's got it sorted more than we have. God knows what's going to bring about his glory and God may not answer it the way we want it answered. You see, it may be the healing of the person. It may be that he is, the person is healed and it does bring glory to God. But it may not. It may actually be the death of that person that brings glory to God. It may be that the healing of the person is not what God wants. It may be that God actually allows them to go on that way and as they persevere through that, then their life points to the glory of God and shines even brighter than healing. If you want to look at an example of that is Mari Hole. Mari suffered for years. It wasn't just the cancer the last five years. Mari has had a tough life. But if you go and speak to Mari... If you had gone and spoken to Mari, she would not have once complained. She would have just said, I trust God in everything that I do. On the day before she died, Karina and I were up there and uh, we were speaking to her about what was about to happen. And she had a pretty good idea that things weren't going too well. And she said to Karina and I, she says, I'm content. That's a stunning one, isn't it? There she is. She's vomiting blood. She's got a couple of days to live. She's suffered through cancer for five years. She had a tough life with her husband who had emphysema. She said, I'm content. God has been good to me through my whole life. I trust him in everything and I trust him now. Whether I get better or whether I die, I trust in him. That is a huge witness to God, isn't it? That is a stunning witness to God. And that hasn't gone unseen in the lives of the families around Mari or the people that she's touched. It's a stunning example, isn't it? I suppose what I want to encourage you to think about here this morning is that as we look at the timing of Jesus, to realise that sometimes 
things aren't going to go the way we want them to. Sometimes healing isn't what God wants. Sometimes it's a struggle and a perseverance and a coming through that brings glory to God more than healing. Don't get me wrong. The passage is just before this. Jesus has healed thousands. There's been lots of healings that have gone on. But this one just shows that the overriding principle of either healing or not healing is that God is seen to be great. It's a good thing for us to remember, isn't it? And it helps us in our prayers. And it helps us to trust that God is the one that is in control. Our first gem, God is powerful over death. Our second gem, that Jesus is an emotional bloke. Our third gem gem, is that Jesus' timing is perfect timing and God's timing is perfect timing. And the fourth and final gem I just want to pull out for you, the last one very quickly, is that Jesus' desire for the people that were there and his Jesus' desire for you and I this morning to take home from this. Have a look at verse 4 again. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son might be glorified through it. And then look at verse 14. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. Jesus' desire for the people then and for you here this morning is that you believe. That you believe and bring glory to God. You see, you've seen a phenomenal miracle today. I know it happened 2,000 years ago, but you've seen a phenomenal miracle in the raising of Lazarus. You've felt the incredible emotion of Jesus. You've seen the perfect timing of Jesus. Many who were there 2,000 years ago saw and believed and they gave their lives to Jesus. You've seen all this and you've seen more because you've seen Jesus go to the cross and rise again and touched lives for centuries. Change this world and turn it upside down. Do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, then praise God. That's a great thing. If you do, spend time pondering those four gems. Go home today and just think about the power of Jesus, his power over death. Think about the emotion of Jesus, his pain, how he feels for us. Contemplate the timing of Jesus and how that can help you trust him more. And then think about his desire for you to believe in him and bring glory to his Father. If you want to believe, then take that step this morning. Give your life to Jesus today. Just pray to him. Thank him. Thank him for who he is. Say sorry for all that you have done. Ask that he now take control of your life and that he will guide you and enable you to live now and for eternity. Knowing and trusting that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to just spend time contemplating what we've just heard and what we've just read and what we've just seen, Lord, we pray that it won't just wash over us and miss us, but Lord, it will touch our hearts, that it will penetrate the inmost being, that Lord, we won't walk away from here the same person, but we'll walk away from here being changed by you, Lord. Lord, we ask that by your Spirit, you will take what we've heard and what we've seen and what we've listened to and apply it to our hearts, Lord, so that we may believe in you, so that we may trust in you, so that we may live for you, Lord. We pray this, all this, in Jesus' name. Amen.